Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Rafael Nasser from Craft Pita coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He's a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. We follow him on Instagram at FulmerHOU. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Start with the passing of Tony Vallone. Houston's king of fine dining died last week at the age of 75. Tony uh, very famously always said that he wanted to go out with fish in one hand and pasta in the other. It seems like he realized that aspiration. The uh, Houstonia had a a story that apparently Chris Shepard and his fiance, Lindsey Brown, and his business partner celebrated his birthday at Tony's Wednesday night. And then Tony died of, Tony Vallone died of natural causes early Thursday morning. So a life well lived. Uh, you know, we can talk about all of the various restaurants. Obviously, Tony's was the most prominent. Uh, La Groya and Grotto, now part of the Landry Signature Group, are restaurants that Tony Vallone started. I mean, I can think of, you know, Anthony's, Vallone's, Chow Bello. Uh, there was even a short-lived Tex-Mex concept called Los Tonys. Um, so a, a prolific restaurateur, someone who left his mark on Houston's restaurant scene and someone that we will remember for a long time. Michael, let me throw it to you. Do you have any specific Tony Valone memories? Because I, I have a couple I want to share. I only dined at Tony's a couple of times. It was generally out of my price range for most of, uh, you know, back in its heyday. Um, the place that really gave me the most memories and where, where Mr. Vallone uh, made his impact directly to me in terms of a dining experience was Anthony's. Uh, that was, you know, it was still, you know, white tablecloth, uh, very well considered menu um, and great execution as well as, you know, you know, top of the line service, uh, but much more affordable and I guess it started back on in, in Montrose, you know, and then moved to Highland Village. Uh, and that was really just a great experience. It was a place to have a celebratory meal and have a fine dining meal, but it wouldn't necessarily break your bank. Um, you know, it was it was impressive. I was sad to have seen it uh, go when it finally closed. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually glad that you mentioned Anthony's because that is the restaurant that was my very first introduction to fine dining as a child. I'm not sure what inspired my parents to take my sister and I there. I was probably about nine years old, but it is the, it's the first restaurant where I had tiramisu. And there's that old joke in sleepless in Seattle. You're a movie buff. I think you you may recall this where Tom Hanks says something like, she's going to want me to do that to her. And I don't know what it is. And I knew I, I laughed at that joke even as a child because I knew what tiramisu was and I, I knew that it was a dessert and not uh, something you do to someone else. <laughs> uh, but that really, you know, and then, you know, we went to growing up, we went to Valone restaurants quite a bit. You know, my, my, my parents liked La Grilla, you know, it was close to where I went to high school. Uh, I celebrated prom there with about 15 other obnoxious uh, spoiled private school brats uh, we did my father's uh, surprise 
65th birthday at Lagrilla, you know, any number of dining experiences at Grotto. It's the first place I had arancini. It's the first place I had shrimp on pizza. And, and, you know, I think Tony's Tony Valone's restaurants in uh, a lot of ways shaped kind of what I value in food service atmosphere, all of those things. I mean, you know, I, I remember we went to La Grilla one night and uh, they were full. It was a Friday night. Uh, we didn't have a reservation. It was like straight out of Goodfellas. They found a table. They, they moved some things aside and we got, we got seated relatively much more quickly than we had any right to be. So I'll, I think Did about you get a bottle of, of Dom from Frankie Valley also, uh, you know, I, sadly we no no, <laughs> no bottles of Dom from Frankie Valley, but I did, I did once see, uh, I did once see Joel Osteen there. It's my only Joel Osteen sighting sitting in the corner <laughs> with Victoria. Uh, and then I, I will say one other thing about my first Tony's experience was in 2012. You know, my, my parents were very generous and they would take us to nice restaurants, but Tony's was off limits. That was a place they went by themselves. And after my father passed away in, in 2012, I'd had a very close group of friends and we all kind of looked at each other. We were all dressed up for his funeral and we looked at each other and we said, look, we should find a happy occasion to dress up again. Like this should not be the only time we were all dressed up. And we settled on Tony's during Houston restaurant weeks as the time that we would, we would find a happy occasion. And it was my first time at Tony's and it, it was kind of everything that you want it to be, even though it was HRW, even though we weren't spending a lot of money. Uh, and the one thing that I remember about the meal is they had the, the signature souffle as a supplement on the dessert menu. And you could pay a little extra five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever it was and get souffle. And I did that. And I was, I was uh, aroused jealousy in all of my table mates who hadn't had the, uh, the forethought to do that. And, and I think that's kind of Tony Valone's role in Houston, right? I mean, showing people a very good experience, obviously at a price, but they, they don't tell people no. And, and the stories about, you know, chili and hamburgers and French toast after uh, society events or legendary, you know, certainly it, it has been a place for uh, any number of happy occasions over many, many years. And, uh, you know, Houston won't be the same without, without Tony Valone. Uh, it is in good hands, I think, uh, with his wife, Donna, running the show and, and their chef, Austin Waiter, in charge. So we'll see how Tony's evolves over the years. But uh, uh, certainly a, a seminal presence in, in the Houston culinary landscape and, and someone who will be very dearly missed. Yeah, I don't think it was just the food, you know, the high, you know, Houston hasn't, doesn't really have that sort of high end sort of four-star um, dining experience. We generally don't like to get these these really kind of high-end dress-up places. They generally don't last. Um, it's usually something just kind of just below that with a really stronger emphasis on food. And I think his legacy, at least for me, really was one of service. Um, you know, the service was, like you said, they don't say no. You know, when I went there, and uh, you know, I wasn't anybody, but I, I got great service. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm getting pushed to a table by the, you know, by the kitchen or I'm being ignored so that they can fawn over some, you know, river Oaks millionaire. It was like, they just, they took really good care of me. Now they also understood what it was to have a VIP. I guess back in the day, uh, the, the Chronicles, uh, 
gossip columnist or whatever you want to call her, Maxine it's Messenger. A society was, columnist, please. Yeah, please. society columnist. Thank you. Uh, you know, was centered there. Um, and, you know, for me, like I used to my first couple of years in, in this business, I had a, a late night poker game with industry friends of which many were Tony's uh, captains and waiters. And it was all very relaxed. We had a great time. These you know, were good buddies of mine you know, for several years. Um, and then when I remember going in to dine there once and it was like, like, it was like a totally different experience. They was like, they were on, it was just like, yes, they were warm and friendly, but it was like, it was just great service, very professional, never taking anything for granted, always kind of being like one to three steps ahead, you know, which to me is part of a great service is really anticipating, uh, you know, what the guest wants and needs. Uh, it was very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, that level of service, that level of attentiveness, I mean, it, it, it really did set a standard and you see it, you know, certainly at, at places like Pappas Brothers Steakhouse, you know, they don't really say no to people. I mean, you know, even in, in uh, like Charles Clark and Grant uh, Cooper's restaurants, right? Like they're, you know, the success of Brasserie 19, like part of that uh, stems from their willingness to take care of their diners. And, and that, you know, I, I, I think that stems directly from La Grilla being right next door. Sure. So, you know, I guess the, the Halloween parties at La Grilla that became, you know, the thing, it was like, that was the, the place to be for uh, sort of the elite. Um, I never went, of course. But right. Right. I, I haven't, I, 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 I only see it Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, obviously, um, you know, thoughts and condolences to, to Donna alone, to, to everyone at Tony's and to his family. It's, uh, absolutely. I hope, I hope, I hope they endure. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Sorry for the interruption. More of what's Eric eating is coming up here in a second, but first this is super important. Babe wine has officially made its way to Texas. Yep. That's right. It's the cute, delicious, take anywhere, bubbly wine in a can that pairs well with literally everything. Even your grandma's iconic cornbread. Thanks, Grandma. Find our Grigio, Rosé, and Red Wines at HEB, Specs, Kroger, Walmart, and Target. You're welcome. Now back to the show. Mm, Rosé and cornbread. Who would have thought? All right. Let us move on to topic number two. The burger joint is on the move. They are expanding to Baybrook Mall for a third location, uh, which I have written has a COVID-friendly 5,800-square-foot patio. Um, you know, I, I think we talk a lot about the struggles of the restaurant industry since the coronavirus and the shutdowns and, and all the restrictions. I think, I think of the burger joint as a bit of a success story. It's, it's a place that's really, uh, adapted very well, right? They, they added online ordering. It's always been a popular delivery option and most of their seating is outdoors. So it really kind of suits the, the present moment, um, I mean, I, I know that you dine at the burger joint occasionally. We have dined there together in the past. Kind of where does it fit for you in the mix of all the various Houston burger options? Uh, you know, it, every neighborhood has a great burger. You know, it's like in my world, we travel for barbecue. You know, it's not unheard of to travel, spend 12 hours on the road or drive three hours just to get, you know, the incredible brisket. But nobody really travels for burgers because everyone's got a great one in their neighborhood. And, 
you know, if you want to get a million comments, you know, on your web page or whatever you're talking about, it just you mentioned put out a list of what your favorite burgers are, and you'll just get flooded with all the ones that you've omitted. Uh, you know, there are some tried and true ones and ones that seem to make almost everyone's list. And so when they came out, you know, uh, they they worked really hard. I think they did a good job on on uh, establishing what their identity was, uh, offering options. Uh, and giving great service and they do a solid burger there i really enjoy it uh you know it's kind of that it's not the big thick patty it's not quite the thin one either it's right in between uh one of the options i like what they do is that you any of their different uh you know burgers you can also order as a chicken sandwich now and uh, that's a great option it's just another facet of how they have uh you know, how they react to, you know, what's going on in the industry, what's happening in the restaurant world uh, in a positive and, and I think, you know, probably a lucrative way. Yeah. I, I mean, when I talked to the owner, Sean Bermudez, when the, the Heights location opened earlier this year, you know, he's got present company and he's had boondocks and, and a whole bunch of other bars. He's like, this is the the most consistent of all of my businesses, right? This is you know, it's grown steadily. It's been very popular. It is the one that is the most poised to grow. And I, I do think they, they just, you know, they get all the little details right. You know, it's the right meat to bun ratio. The fries are nice and crispy. The shakes are, you know, not too thick, not too sweet. You know, they, they have a wide variety of toppings. I just, I think they, they execute. It's very consistent. And I think all of those reasons have allowed it to achieve uh, a pretty high level of success. And, and at a time when, you know, we've seen, you know, Bernie's Burger Bus, for example, kind of, you know, rise and fall. It's like the burger joint's just like chill in the background, like doing its thing, not really, not really drawing a lot of media attention, just, you know, making money for its, uh, you know, keeping its employees working and, and making money. Yeah, I, I can't imagine there's a, a restaurant owner out there who has opened a burger joint who doesn't, you know, at some point even conceive of like economy of scale going, well, how can we replicate this and turn this into two, three, five, and then suddenly maybe hundreds, like five guys started, you know, that way in, I guess, uh, Arlington, Virginia, and now they're everywhere. Uh, you know, Shake Shack was just this little place in Manhattan that always had a line and all of a sudden, bam. So, you know, it's, they're not, they're not trying to conquer the world overnight here. They're not, you know, being overly aggressive with it, but they're expanding and it seems like a very concerted and uh, well thought out way. Yeah. And I mean, look, if you go to that area around Baybrook mall, I mean, there's any number of prominent chain restaurants, you know, it's a family friendly area, you know, a, a burger concept will fit right in with all of that and, and should do very well. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Topic number three, Katz's. It's not, it's not Katz's Deli anymore. It's just Katz's or maybe Katz's never closes. Their new location in the Heights opens this week on September 15th. So a couple of days before this podcast comes out and then 24 hour service begins on the 22nd. Uh, I met with the owner, Barry Katz, who was very eager to show off the design, which they had performed by Michael Shu from Austin, who's done Uchi and La Lucha and Oporto and a whole bunch of other places. Uh, and the new menu, which has 
still has Rubens and Wentz's and matzo ball soup, but has a, a much bigger selection of salads, seafood, a whole bunch of other stuff that, that gives it a, uh, a broader appeal, a, a more diverse selection. So with all of that, one of the things Barry Katz told me was he thinks, I don't think you'll find a nicer 24 hour restaurant with better food quality, design, cleaner, more inviting, more welcoming. That's become the mission statement for us. Michael Fulmer, what do you think about Barry Katz's aspiration to have the nicest 24 hour restaurant, uh, certainly in Houston and, and maybe even beyond? Well, it's not exactly a crowded field. That's a, I mean, there's not too many all night eateries, uh, you know, I guess the house of pies and the Walfa houses and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, usually coffee late, shop. I mean, it's, right. it's, a short night, it's, usually, it's usually like a greasy spoon. It's a place to get breakfast at one in the morning or, uh, maybe, you know, a plate of enchiladas depending on, on what it is. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's absolutely, they could absolutely reach that status. I have not been in many years, you know, it, it was open as Katz's Deli and, to, you know, to have that title when the iconic Katz's in New York, you know, provides that experience. It was like, it was unavoidable to compare it. So of course it was, you know, it, it came up short for me, uh, dramatically. Uh, in fact, if you go to Katz's in New York, they will... <laughs> the owners who pretty much walk around and just glad hand people will say, as soon as you tell them you're from Texas, they're like, we're not related to them. Um, so I, I like the idea that they're branding beyond, you know, maybe calling themselves the deli because it wasn't really a great sort of deli experience uh, for me at least. Um, and maybe this is a time for me to revisit it after many years and see, Hey, what's going on? Uh, and, and what's this experience like? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I had, I had sort of the double whammy of I, I prefer the deli experience at Kenny and Ziggy's and also, you know, prior relationship, ex-girlfriend that really loved it. We went there quite a bit. And so of course, as soon as we broke up, like dead to me. Uh, so I had not, I had not been to Katz's in a long time and, and look sitting in an empty restaurant during training with the owner is going to be a different experience than, you know, showing up for a Reuben at, at two in the morning on a Friday night. But uh, I was really impressed by the quality of the food um, that they served me. And I, I, I want to go back and experience it kind of at, at regular service, you know, full throttle. And it, and it is that that Heights location is really nice, you know, whereas um, the Montrose location is cramped and it's kind of a weird shape you know, to story, all that stuff. It's like, yeah, the problem Heights to take is, a left there, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. The Heights location is bright. It's open. It's, you know, it's one big room with, with different sections and, and a skylight and, and a third of its seating is outside, which, you know, they planned kind of before coronavirus, but actually now is like a perfect thing to do. And, and it just, you know, it, it was kind of my reintroduction to Katz's, and it does. It makes me want to go back. And for uh, me, I guess for me, it's like I don't expect like sort of this great experience when I go to a 24 hour place. But I like them to do one thing really well uh, or at least embrace something really well. Um, you know, maybe you know, like to me, like, at, you know, there's other places where you get like the cottage fries or maybe that they have great pie. And it allows you to kind of let the other stuff be like, okay, that's okay. And that's fine. I can, you know, that, that's good. Um, you know, it, it changes my whole level of expectation. 
so I'll be curious to see if they can nail like one dish or one facet of what they do uh, in, in a kind of really in a good way uh, that would make all that, you know, kind of rounds off the edges, at least at least for me. Right. Because especially when you're going to especially when you're going to a 24 hour place like you, you're seeking comfort, you're seeking something that will kind of soak up the, the night's excesses. You know, yeah. you you're not you're not looking for fancy. So. No, you know, like it at House of Pies, it's it as you know, it's the French dip, right? Like as long as as long as that's on the menu, as long as I can get that with cottage fries and a slice of pie. French dip and cottage fries, exactly. They right. nailed it. I don't yeah. I don't care what else is on that menu. Like other people can eat the eggs or the pancakes, or the, like I just want a French dip. And so as long as I can find that one or two things at Katz's, uh, and they had a sandwich with brisket and turkey on like a jalapeno, like or, or with like a like cheese and it comes with a side of barbecue sauce. And it's on like a, like a kind of sweet brioche bun that I got to try. It's like, I think I could eat that on a pretty consistent basis and be pretty happy about it. I'm curious. Yes. So Katz's new menu, new experience worth checking, especially if you're in the Heights. Um, uh, it's just, definitely it's worth like, checking it's out. all happening. It's just, it's so blowing up over there. Right. Um, I mean, I, I bought a used car, I think off shepherd way back in the day. And I think there's like a handful of those little car dealers left, uh, but you know they're they're disappearing fast and turning into A-list apartments and and you know uh, the restaurants that support them. Right. Yeah. Now that that car dealership is probably Heights Beer Garden. Yeah, <laughs> more than likely. All right, Michael. That does it for our news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Our restaurants of the week are brought to you by Cutwater Spirits. Cutwater Spirits takes their award-winning real spirits, uses them to make great cocktails, which they then put into cans, so you can easily take them where no cocktail has gone before, even if that's just your own backyard in summer 2020. Cutwater offers a convenient way to enjoy your favorite bar-quality cocktail outside of the bar setting. They have a wide variety of over 17 delicious canned cocktails and 20 bottled spirits, so there is something for everyone. The vodka mule, tequila margarita, grapefruit vodka soda, and tequila soda are just a few of their fan favorites. You can find Cutwater locally at Specs, Total Wine, Goody Goody, and more. Visit cutwaterspirits.com for more information. Michael, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to revisit a place that I talked about a couple weeks ago with Becky Masson. That is Killen's, Ronnie Killen's new comfort food restaurant at Washington Avenue and Heights Boulevard. Uh, now I will say you are a manager at Killen's STQ. So no one expects you to say anything negative about Killen's. And if we had had a negative experience about Killen's, we wouldn't be talking about it, right? We would just sort of flush it um, because I wouldn't expect you to say anything uh, negative about your employer. Um, but talk to me a little bit about your overall impressions of Killen's and kind of what you thought of some of what we ate. I mean, Ronnie has been doing chicken fried steak. He does it, I think, at virtually all his restaurants now. I don't think you see it at uh, necessarily at TMX or at the burger place. But, you know, it's at the steakhouses. It's at this STQ. Uh, and there's a reason, you know, it's called chicken fried ribeye, you know, where it, Ronnie never, like, he'll never phone something in. 
Like, you know, he plays to his strengths, but one thing that I can say like my insight, you know, from the inside is that, uh, he doesn't ever take, he doesn't ever want to like take anything and go like, well, let's do this 80% and we'll do the rest hundred percent. It's like, he really, he puts all his energies into each dish, uh, and not just in terms of execution, but in terms of ingredients too. And he knows it, it starts there. Uh, and it really comes through. And then having, you know, somebody like chef Teddy Lopez there alongside, you know, the, the brain trust, they're really, they can fine tune things. And, you know, this is going to sound like heresy, but there was a time I was not a fried chicken person. Um, and you know, that has changed over time. I've been beaten down and, you know, I ended up ordering that and it was just, it was outstanding. Uh, it, it came with, you know, enough sides, you know, with the mashed potatoes and our server had like really kind of pushed, like we should get the grits. And I was like, all right. I mean, it's more than we need, but let's try them. And they were fantastic. Like, like the best I've ever had. Yeah. I, I was equally skeptical about pushing the grits and they were green chili. Right. So they had just, just the right amount of heat. Um, you know, like good creaminess, but, but still that really clean, like corn flavor. Like there's not any illusions about what grits are. And I, and I thought those grits were really tasty. I thought your fried chicken was really first rate. Uh, you know, Becky and I did enough raving about the mashed potatoes uh, a couple of weeks ago. We don't need to get into that. Um, and I had the chicken fried steak and, and I, you know, I thought maybe just like a smidge overcooked. Uh, but you know, those fried green tomatoes with the pickled shrimp are outstanding. Uh, we had the, the beef, uh, the beef rib burnt ends that are like the latest variation on his pork belly burnt ends. Those are, I mean, just like big beef flavor, you know, wonderful crispy texture. And then, you know, the banana pudding for dessert, that's basically just like light as air. Um, so delicious. So yeah, I think, you know, I think I think Ronnie's really onto something, and the prices are great. You know, half chicken, I think twenty two bucks. Uh, my chicken fried steak was under you know my my quote unquote small portion of chicken fried steak that's still basically like hung over the sides of the plate was uh, sixteen, I think. So you know, dinner for two, depending on what you drink and and apps and desserts. I mean, you know, you get in you know thirty ish. You know, certainly between 50 and 75 total. I think that's, it's very reasonable for the, the portions and the quality. You had, I believe you had the pot pie too on another night when you weren't there, which I've never had. And I'm curious as to what you thought about that. Yeah. So, uh, so the food, uh, the food that we ate looked so delicious to a friend of mine that she demanded that we go there the very next night. So I ate it, I ate at Killen's back to back and they had the chicken pot pie on the menu. And it's so easy to screw that up. Right. If the crust isn't flaky, if it's, you know, I, I don't like it too creamy, you know, it's got to have the right thickness. It's, you know, it can't be too soupy. Um, and, uh, and Teddy actually came out and said, Ronnie made the chicken pot pie himself that day. And needless to say, I mean, it was spot on. It was flavorful. Uh, the crust was nice and crispy. The, I mean, I, I really, it was a, it was a very hearty portion. It came in like its own, kind of half-sized enameled cast iron dish. And I, I mean, I ate about half of it before I quit just cause it was such a, it was such a hearty and satisfying dish, but 
Yeah, it was it it's among the very best chicken pot pie I've ever had. I I'm very curious. Like it's one of the few things I ever ate growing up that was frozen was pot pies, you know, and it's not something my mother would make, you know, sweet pies, but never like that just wasn't in, you know, her repertoire. And so I never like the idea when I'd see it on a restaurant menu, I'm like, what? And to, so when you have it where it's made fresh, you know, it's made right, where, like you said, it does that balance. When you've had one that's too soupy and all it does is scald your mouth and kind of like, like just leave you completely unsatisfied. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely having that next time I go on. Yeah, no, it was, it was first rate. And I was glad that I, in a way, because when we went, they only had it as like a gigantic, like 35 or $40 designed to feed. Yeah. For like four. Yeah. Which was way more food than we needed. So this was, this was a quote unquote individual portion that very easily could have fed two people. Uh, And again, under 20 bucks. And I was glad that I got to try it. Any other, I I do want to hit one other topic. So any, any final thoughts on Killens? No, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the right place at the right time. You know, I know Ronnie's wanted to have a presence inside the loop for a long time. And, uh, you know, it really kind of it goes back to his sources when he says, you know, this was inspired by his family, by his grandmother specifically. You know, that's not lip service. You know, this is something that he was raised with and uh, has taken it to the next level. And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, really timely. Absolutely. All right. And then just briefly, I want to talk about the, pastry pop-up that we unwittingly uh, or without coordinating both attended this week, Christina Ah, the pastry chef who I think I first met when she was working as Chris Lung's right hand at Cloud 10 Creamery. She went on to Common Bond and then she, she left Houston for a little while, has been working at Four Seasons Hotels, both in California and Philadelphia. She's home now and she had a pop-up at Revival Market over the weekend. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I think she's a, she's kind of an up and coming talent. And so I just wanted to uh, talk about a couple of the things we had. I mean, I, that pumpkin spice cream puff was, was out of this world. Her chocolate chip cookies are the right balance of, you know, sweet, salty, gooey, crispy. Um, you know, I had a, a an oversized macaron that uh, was chocolatey and rich and delicious. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and I was very amused to see that not only did you go and I went, but also uh, Matt Harris, who's a frequent presence on the show, and Linda Salinas, who's a frequent presence on the show. All four of us independently decided that we needed to, yes. to check Our this whole social out. media feed was filled with it. And it was also interesting to see how much of, uh, you know, a lot of industry people going there. I had never, like, I couldn't, I've certainly been to common bond and I've been to cloud 10, but I can't say, Oh, this is, this was Christine's creation. I didn't know, or I didn't know at the time. And so this was something very specific. Um, and I guess I started following her uh, a little while ago. And so I saw her doing prep for it, for the pop-up, you know, you know, and I heard when revival was doing like a series of pop-ups and when I saw what she was doing, like as soon as I saw the mango passion fruit pop tart, I was like, okay, that's it. And you can't, you can't, you know, order from a, a pastry pop-up and get like one or two things. That's, I don't think that's uh, possible, you know? Uh, so of course I completely over-ordered, uh, you know, there was a passion fruit tart. Uh, she did a pecan pie without corn syrup that came out just this beautiful balance of crunch, not too sweet, but sweet enough and excellent crust. Um, yeah. I'm you know, looking at my, my photo of the menu. There were, 
there were something like 20 items. Uh, it was for a really pop-up. ambitious. And yeah. everything I had, you know, I brought a bunch into work to share because otherwise, you know, I'm like Homer Simpson at three in the morning and I wake up and it's there. It's I'm, I'm eating it. So I knew to get it out of my house. And, you know, I like to buy that stuff and share it anyway. And I mean, the people I shared it with were just like, where did this come from? You yeah, know, it's, it's Jaws pers- dropped, you know, uh, anybody who might like look at it and go, well, maybe that I don't want to pay, you know, two fifty for a cookie or five dollars. The prices were very reasonable. One of the other things that really impressed me, just not on just the incredible execution of and the quality of all, like everything I had, like all of it, was the sheer volume of what she did. And then when you got there, it was like, you know, I walked right up. My bag was ready with my name. I, you know, they had a couple of cookies without nuts. I was able to buy that. I mean, I was in and out. Uh, It was very well operated, very well run. Uh, and you know, so they really killed it on all levels, I think. You know, absolutely. And, and I, I like that she's, she's branded, right. She had her name, uh, on t-shirts and, and business cards, like those business cards are awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Black and black and gold AU, obviously the symbol, the the symbol for gold and it's Christina. Aw, AU, um, follow her on Instagram, stay tuned for the next pop-up and, and buy all the things. Yeah, when you think back to, you know, Houston didn't really have much in terms of really a, a top flight bakery. You know, we had the French Gourmet open. We had three brothers, you know, and then when Common Bond hit the scene, it really it was just like, wow, this is what Houston needed. You know, it really hit the hot, you know, but they're also it's kind of like they really stayed with what they make. They don't expand. It's not, you know, it's, it's a different kind of experience. Uh, it's still a good experience, but different. And the idea of like another you know, really talented quality baker, you know, coming on the scene, bring it, bring it. I'm in. Yeah, me too. All right, Michael, that does it for our restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care my friend. All right. I'll be right back with Raphael Nasser. I am joined this week by the proprietor of Craft Pita, a fast casual restaurant that recently celebrated its one-year anniversary in Briar Grove. Raphael Nasser, welcome to the show. How's it going, Eric? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. As uh, unfortunately a little depressed about the Rockets and Texans last week, but it's a new week this week. Yeah, not a good, not a good week for Houston sports. And and don't worry because the Texans are home. For the Ravens, where I think they're about a ten-point underdog, so is that what the all going to be? It's all going to be fine. Lamar Jackson is not on some sort of <laughs> wild revenge tour to prove that he is the best football player in in the game, and not Patrick Mahomes. Like he's he's not going to stomp a mud hole in the Texans and walk it dry. I mean, I know I'm I know. not I'm not laying those points. I would never bet against the home team. <laughs> I would never advise anyone listening. That, uh, yeah, actually, that's bad juju. You should 100% be betting against the Texans on Sunday. All right. <laughs> let's talk about you. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about I always like to start these interviews at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about kind of how you got involved in the restaurant business. Yeah, so um, I spent my my entire uh, childhood traveling to Lebanon to go visit my grandma uh, in the summers. 
And uh, there, my uncle owned and operated a few restaurants in Lebanon. Um, at the same time, when I was younger, my parents did open a restaurant in the Galleria for about 11 months. It was called the Cafe Mundial. Short-lived. I think they learned the seasonality of being inside a mall. Uh, and kind of, uh, they were, my dad's a, a you know engineer. My mom owned a retail clothing business. So they kind of learned the investment it takes to be all in on a restaurant. And the summers when I go visit my grandma, I'd work at my uncle's place, you know, having 15 year old drop fries in the fryer or <laughs> make sandwiches uh, and not paying them or paying them with free food was kind of how I got my first uh, digs in it. Um, went to TCU to study entrepreneurship. And uh, while I was there, I noticed an opportunity in the Greek I was living in, the Greek area, that there was a bunch of drunk college kids and nowhere to eat. So I approached the school and uh, I asked them if I could open a food truck on campus. And they allowed me to do it. Uh, I got all the approval, but, uh, you know, had a business partner. My parents uh, lent me a little bit of money. And that was my first uh, technical foray into the restaurant industry. After that, moved back to Houston, where I worked for Island Grill for a year. Uh, I opened up their Bunker Hill store. You know, I, I, I just want to interrupt you for, for just yeah. a second. So most students, when they needed a job, <laughs> yeah. uh, they shelf books in the library or they, uh, you know, they check people in at the gym. You started a food truck. Yeah, I was a sophomore. Uh, I was taking 12 hours at the time. I had to go to school from 8 to 3. I had prep food from 3 to 5. We'd be in service from, you know, 5.30 till 2 a.m. I made most of my money from about 12 a.m. till 2 a.m. Right, yeah. of course. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, that year of my life, I did not have you know, I didn't have a social life. Uh, you know, we would park at tailgates. Uh, we'd park at the library, the whole nine yards. Uh, and we ended up selling it. Uh, we had an opportunity. Uh, TC is very expensive and I wanted to graduate on time. Got it. Okay. So, all right. So you worked for <laughs> Island Grill. Worked for Island Grill. And uh, after that, I worked for Verts, also known as Verts Kebab. Yes. The uh, short lived They. I remember meeting those guys and they're, it's, it's such a funny, it's like, it's Germany's most popular street food. How could it miss in America? And of course it just, we just don't like kebabs as much as Germans do. I guess. Yeah. I think part of it is a branding issue uh, with literally like the actual food itself. Well, it's a donor German Turkish street food that goes way over a lot of people's heads, unfortunately. Um, and uh, they expanded very fast, got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of investment in the company. I, I personally was a part of opening three stores within a year. Um, thought I could try my, my feet in fine dining. So I moved to Austin, tried to work for, uh, you know, the likes of Paul Key and, and different guys. Uh, I ended up uh, falling in with uh, Papa's restaurant uh, company. And uh, I worked for Papacitos there by UT for about two and a half years. Moved back here, uh, worked for Papacitos here. And uh, 
found a location, raised some money, and uh, we're a year later. We've had Craft Pita open for about a year. Yeah, so so let's talk about Craft Pita and kind of because it seems like in some ways it it kind of is the culmination of all of these experiences, right? Like you Definitely. know, at, at you know, uh, one part food truck, one part <laughs> island grill, um, you know, Pappas like attention to service. Um, so, so kind of tell people kind of how you, you pulled these experiences together, plus your own Lebanese heritage yeah. and created this concept. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think from the second I sold my, when we had the food truck, we always wanted to get a brick and mortar location, right? From then I said, I'm going to go work at places and I can take nuggets of information, processes, systems, uh, and build it all together to to a point where I know when I'm ready, when the market is ready for something like Craft Pita. Because honestly, seven years ago, I don't know if uh, if the exposure of just something like hummus was as prevalent as it is now. I mean, people are buying hummus more than they buy salsa at HEB, for example. Um, so, you know, Island Grill kind of taught me that there is in houston this this market for mediterranean food um they're a little bit more americanized and i want to do something a bit more authentic uh verts taught me that people want something convenient uh and streamlined um and working for papas i learned operations to the to the nth degree and truly like you said you know top shelf service uh, making sure the guest is always taken care of. They leave happy uh, no matter what it takes. Um, and then I really had a calling to kind of pay tribute to my Lebanese roots in a way I hadn't seen anyone in the Houston market do. Uh, whether it be quality of ingredients, uh, environment, or service. You know, there's you know there's a lot of places I grew up on the counter at Phoenicia when they were at Phoenicia Deli on the other side of Westheimer. Uh, I've been going to Cafe Lily and all these places my whole life and they're amazing places. Uh, but I just saw, you know, we needed something convenient, high quality, uh, with great service. And we kind of, 2019 was the time. Did right. it, I didn't so, know a pandemic right. would happen. <laughs> right. Right. So you've been open for about a year. What would you say, like, what would you say you've learned? Like, what what didn't you anticipate that that maybe has caught you by surprise about operating the, your own restaurant for the first time? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. It's everyone thinks you open your own place and you make your own schedule. No, I've probably I've probably worked this year more than I have my entire life. Uh, things that caught me by surprise. Uh, I mean, I always knew Houston would would take to our cuisine i didn't think it would take off as fast as it did i thought there would be a little bit of a little bit of a learning curve you know uh whether it's things like labne or fatouche uh people here are so open and willing to try new things i think that was probably the biggest surprise to me i always you know banked on that but man we've we've really had an amazing uh, community to support us uh, over there in the Briar Grove area and their support has been uh, has been outstanding and that's honestly my biggest surprise is just people going all in on the cuisine 
Yeah, I was impressed with kind of how you hustled at the start of the pandemic. I mean, you, I think, understood pretty quickly that you were going to have to shift your operations a little bit. I, I mean, I remember you set up a tent, you you got online ordering up. I mean, you, you kind of had all these things that were sort of built in already, but, but it seems like you really uh, adapted very quickly from my perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, we always knew we wanted to have like, like, for example, uh, we've been on all five delivery platforms since the day we opened. We've had online ordering since the day we opened. Um, we set up that tent because one thing I realized that was imperative at the beginning was do people even know if you're open, right? People like you or me are going to check Google or Yelp or call. But we realized, man, if I'm not, if I don't really make it obvious that we're open, it's going to be tough to bring in business. It also protected my employees, uh, knock on wood, but we've had one, uh, you know, one incident of someone getting sick this whole time. And I think a lot of it was at the beginning, you know, we were very concerned about letting people in. We didn't let people in the restaurant for about two weeks after we were allowed to, uh, and the tent, honestly, at the time we were actually doing more business than, than afterwards, once all the other restaurants opened, cause there was so much, so little supply. Um, but you're right. I realized very quickly, uh, we, we have to do everything we can. Uh, no one's going to do it for you. The government's not going to help. Uh, the city's not going to help. You got to figure it out now. Right. No, absolutely. And I know that, you know, most restaurateurs talk about kind of a contentious relationship with Yelp. Uh, but you actually got recognized by Yelp, right? You were one of their best restaurants of the year. Yes. So we were on the Yelp top 100 for 2019. Um, we were number 22, only restaurant in Houston to make the list. Uh, definitely Yelp is a, is a double-edged sword. I mean, we once we made that list, we had our busiest month of sales to date. Um, it was a huge, huge thing for our business. Uh, I credit getting on that list and having, we still have a five-star rating with 230 reviews to, as of this day, I credit that to my staff giving a plus service because I don't think people write good reviews for good food. They write good reviews for good experiences. Right. I, I will say my, my observation about Yelp is that people, generally speaking, are not good at writing about what food tastes like. Yeah. Right? That's not yeah. that's not what they no not what they write about. They write about, you know, did you refill my water glass? Do you greet me? The details. You know, if if something got screwed up, like how quickly did you fix it? You know, all those sorts of things. Right? Those are the things that they're good, really good at writing about. And of course, most people. Right. If they had a great experience, like, you know, they don't tell anybody, right? If they had a terrible mm -hmm. experience, they can't wait to tell everybody. So exactly. to maintain 200 plus reviews and five stars, you must be really doing something right, even with all the, the usual complaints people have about that platform. Yeah. You know, it's, it's on it. So it's my team, you know, being dedicated to, to following up on people which is not normal at a fast casual restaurant. We, we throw ourselves in the fine casual restaurants category, you know, with the shake shacks of the world, because it's that one extra step of, of how's everything tasting. You don't get that at Chipotle. You don't get that at Zoe's kitchen. Um, 
Now, part of that, you know, it takes, there's a a labor investment in that, right? It's making sure you have enough people to ask that question. Uh, It takes me and my mom are in the dining room almost every day checking on people. And uh, that people want to reward feeling good. If you can make them feel good, they're going to make the effort to write that review. Absolutely. And then you're also participating in Houston Restaurant Weeks. You know, I... One of the things that the Cleverly Stone always said to me about HRW is she was always a little bit reluctant to let new restaurants in because it's hard to stand out when your choices include, you know, Hugo Ortega's restaurants yeah. and Brennan's and, you know, Del Frisco's and all of these steakhouses. So, so what's your experience been like? Because, you know, you, um, it, it wouldn't occur to me that necessarily that, that I would want a $35 three course dinner at, at craft Pita. Definitely. I didn't even think they would consider us. I, I shot an email. I didn't realize they were, they, you know, I think Katie's made a good job to make it a bit more inclusive. Um, I always interpret it as well as like the Houston restaurant week, the value from the consumer is I can go to a place like Hugo's, and get a bit more value than I normally would because it's a, a high-end fine dining restaurant or a steakhouse place, right? You get like maybe one extra appetizer, free dessert. Um, it's been great. I mean, we've had a huge, huge influx of people from ordering our Houston restaurant, mainly lunch, more so than dinner. I'm going to be honest um, because it's a good value. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, that's how you get people in the door, right? It's what kind of value are you offering and also this year with COVID, the biggest difference in Houston Restaurant Week is the to-go portion of it. And, uh, you know, our food travels extremely well. We've designed our menu to be to-go friendly, whether it's our rotisserie chicken or our fatouche salad or, you know, our ground beef kofta. All these things travel super well. And uh, I think that's one of the things that people are flocking towards us on the Houston Restaurant Week menu for. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, the other thing that sort of, I, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. And then you had a post this weekend that on social <laughs> media that really, that really caught my attention. Cause you, as we said, you've had, a, you've had wonderful experiences overall with Yelp, but you got a negative review where someone sort of questioned your authenticity and you had quite a bit to say about that. So let me just turn it over to you. Um, what, how often have you kind of heard that complaint that that basically it's that you're too slick to be authentic essentially is what the the complaint was it's this this restaurant is too polished and too nice to be quote unquote authentic compared to mediterranean restaurants like on hillcroft or, or in other parts of the city so and thank you i think uh to clarify the reason for my reaction and and you know typing that response on social media was because this is not the first time i've heard that comment um Basically, a guest wrote on Yelp that they had a great experience, that we gave great service, that the restaurant was very clean, and that the food, specifically the chicken, was moist and juicy. But he said, quote, unquote, this is the white people version of Mediterranean food. Um. Since then, the gentleman has changed his comment to say Americanized version. Uh, and I replied uh, very plainly that 
Craft Pita, and he also used the word quote unquote franchisee. Um, and I replied that Houston, sorry, that Craft Pita is operated by a Lebanese family. And just because our restaurant is organized, clean, and gives good service does not mean it is whitewashed. Uh, frankly, it's it's racist to to belittle any ethnicity, ethnicity's small business to say they're not capable of going above and beyond. Uh, a you know, frankly, a dirty restaurant that gives bad service and i don't even think lebanese food has it that bad i feel bad for uh you know small business owners that run mexican or asian restaurants they got a lot this perception that a lot of people have which is why i wanted to bring it up is is something that needs to change sorry go ahead no 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 i i you're rolling i don't i don't want to interrupt but I, I will just emphasize, right? You see this a lot, uh, you know, bond me, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't Thank charge. You. Thank you. Right? Like Roostar, right? Like, yes. You can't charge seven, eight dollars for a bond me, right? Like, I can get one that's just as good for two dollars. It's like, well, it's like I've eaten those two dollar bond me's and they, they, God knows, they have their place in our culinary yeah. culture and I, I will eat them again. But you cannot tell me that that Roostar on me isn't better for using craftsman bread of and course. meat from a supplier you've heard of and, and making the, the sauces in house and the pate in house and, you know, all of those things. Right. Of course. And, and that's run by a Vietnamese couple. Right. Right. And, and it's the same thing with, with Mexican food. I mean, I, I went to a restaurant called belly of the beast in spring and ate tacos that cost between, you know, I think five and $8. It's like, yes, I love Tierra Caliente and getting, mm-hmm. you know, a dollar mm-hmm. fifty taco, but you know, what what they're doing at that restaurant is so much more elevated, right? They're they're making the tortillas that, you know, he made carrot escabeche and then pureed it and then paired it with mushrooms from the farmer's market. It's like yeah, you're they're, not, gonna get they're not doing that on yeah. a taco truck. No. So so you're kind of in the same boat, right? I mean, and and just talk about because I mean you're sourcing like Lebanese olive oil, for example. And, and I don't know that, you know, the more casual Lebanese restaurants of, the, of Houston are, are necessarily doing that. Yeah. I mean, it goes, and that's unfortunately one of the things too, is that people actually do this to their own culture. I get this comment more from Lebanese and Arabs than I do from white people or any other culture. And that's not, you, sh- you can never, you can't put down your food. Or else other people from other cultures, white people will never be able to lift it up either. And that's part of the reason why we opened Craft Beat is I'm seeing, you know, I saw what Benji did at Local Foods. And I saw what a lot of other people are doing uh, for fast casual. And I said, why can't someone do that for Mediterranean or, or specifically Lebanese food? And so we started reaching out to a bunch of uh First of all, we went through our own channel to import our own olive oil from Lebanon, from my family's olive orchards in northern Lebanon, which we have trees that have been passed down in our generations, in our family for three generations. We have, uh, I mean, these trees are have been around there since Jesus was there. Uh, 
We import our olives, olive oil, all of our spices, za'atar, sumac, uh, even our dried mint, just because that specific flavor profile is hard to replicate and you can't really get it here. Uh, same way, uh, you know, at my grandma's house in Lebanon, if we didn't raise the animals, if we didn't harvest the vegetables, the olive oil, we got it from someone who did. So we take that approach with our proteins as well. Uh, we get our beef from Heartbrand Beef in Flatonia, Texas. It's an Akayushi uh, Wagyu beef. It's really fantastic. We get our bread from Phoenicia down on Westheimer. Uh, we get our cookies from Michael's Cookie Jar. I'm someone that knows if I can't do it the best, I'm going to get it from someone who can do it way better than I ever could. Uh, and it's it like you said, it allowed you making these decisions justifies a price point that might not occur at other places, but it's all done with intentionality. And hopefully, uh, you know, you can taste the quality to really understand why we make those decisions. Right now, I, I will say, you know, the, the negative review described it as Cheney. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously you've worked for a lot of operators with mm -hmm. multi-unit and, and I think what that means really is just that your branding is good. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Like it's got a, it's got a nice logo. It's, uh -huh. it's everything is, is sort of very carefully considered. I mean, you have to be thinking about multiple locations. We are. And actually you, you brought this up when we first opened and uh, you caught, you saw what I was trying to do a year ago. We are already looking for location number two. Um. And I, I, I always think it's funny how, you know, I do all the branding with my sister, uh, Sophia, you know, do we do our branding too good? Like, is, is that, is that a problem? Uh, it's silly, but you're definitely, you, you read right through what he was trying to say, but we are looking for number two. We're ready to, to expand. The whole concept was developed to be scalable, uh, but have a little bit of, you know, have heart and soul. Um, it's not a, it's not a soulless concept. I mean, well, I, I mean, I think that's the other thing that's probably worth talking about is that your mother is very heavily involved. In yes. This. Yes. These are mom's recipes that she learned from grandma. Uh, it's all being brought down. Claudia's in the, in the dining room every day. She, she just had surgery. So not as much. She had a foot surgery, but uh, she's going to be there. You bet she'll be there even in crutches, checking on people, making sure everyone's happy. Uh, and that culture gets passed along to our employees. And that's definitely a hard thing. Service of this quality is hard to scale. And that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now is how do we do that? How do we build the culture so that when we do open number two, it's the same feeling you get at the one on Fountain View. Um, we're waiting to see what the market looks like. Uh, COVID's, we're not out of the woods. Um, but we're going to get there. Do you have a neighborhood in mind? We have our eyes set on the West U area and potentially Bunker Hill Energy Corridor area. Yeah, I think uh, either one of those, I think that people would be very happy to have you. I think so too. You know, we're, we're truly a lunch business. Uh, we really try to look for the intersection of residential and office space. Um, and, you know, West Hughes obviously has that. Bunker Hill Energy Corridor obviously has that. We, uh, 
we think we'd have to do really well. I'd love to be in the Heights or Montrose. Uh, I think we need to have a little bit more, a uh, little more brand awareness for people to, to go there for lunch, you know, before we, you know, we'll eventually get to those neighborhoods for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I will say that does bring me to the end of my questions. Is there some aspect of craft PETA that I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? No, just uh, let everybody know that you can order at craftpita.com for curbside or delivery. We have a bunch of healthy options uh, for the whole family. We love to have you come by. Well, I, I know you listen to the show, so I know you yes. know. I know you know how this ends. I'm ready. <laughs> All right, it's time to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Rafi Nasser, what is your favorite ingredient? Ooh. Uh, definitely has to be olive oil. It's one of the core ingredients for Lebanese cuisine. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh, wow. I went to Buzzfest in 2000 and I couldn't even tell you, I want to say like 2008 saw Papa Roach and, uh, who else? 30 seconds to Mars. <laughs> well, I'll take it. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Okay, fast food guilty pleasure. Uh, man, you know, you can't go wrong with Whataburger. I, I, you know, that's always a good option. Absolutely. All right, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? It's got to be Deshaun Watson. I mean, the guy's a, is a class act, great leader, and uh, sky's the limit. He just got paid. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? I am a mushroom, pepperoni, and onion kind of guy. Yes, I, I pepperoni and mushroom is my go-to. Right? And I, I don't know why more people don't say that. All right. It's perfect. Uh, give us the give us the website one more time for Craft Pita. Yeah, so it's craftpita.com. Rafi, thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. Have a great day. All right. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. As always, I welcome your feedback and your reviews. You can email me, Eric, E-R-I-C, at culturemap.com. Uh, your comments and ratings are always welcome. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars, only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.